Matt Stepp, I haven't talked to you since the end of state championship games. In fact, I haven't, I haven't read any of your tweets or anything like that. Uh, what's new? Oh, you know, I almost died. Tep and Step, your premium Texas high school football podcast from your friends at Dave Campbell's Texas Football and TexasFootball.com. I am the Tep Greg Tepper. And I'm the Step, Matt Step. Thank you for being a Dave Campbell's Texas Football Insider and supporting this podcast, which needs your support now more than ever. Uh, which we're, we're dropping like flies around here. Um, so 2022 can just shove it. <laughs> okay all right so let's just let's just start there okay let's start there because i think we would be remiss if we did not start the converse uh, start the podcast with probably the people the, the question people have most about you which is step you doing okay buddy you, you scared the bejesus out of all of us yes uh, i i can say with with certainty i'm doing uh, a lot better than i was doing um maybe on new year's eve perhaps uh, but you know, still, still uh, recovering. I'm still hooked up to an IV that's actually running right now as we speak during this podcast. But um, doing a lot better. Um, still got a ways to go, and hoping to get this IV um, out of me here in a couple of weeks and kind of be back to a quote unquote normal. But uh, yeah, uh, it was a rough, rough start to 2022. I had a had a staph infection in my bloodstream that. Um, was not pretty. Um, it put me in the hospital for two weeks. So my 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 holidays with the family and at home here in Canada was uh, rudely interrupted by a, a nasty staph infection. Okay. Well, for, first of all, we're certainly glad you're better. We're certainly glad that you're 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 on the mend. Um, do you have a review of the hospital food? Uh, terrible. Uh, it's zero stars out of ten. Out of ten, it was terrible. Oh, dude. Um, I mean, it's hospital food, right? Like it's. You know, you can't really no. season it. You know, it, it's, you know, generally, generally the clientele in the hospitals is older folk who maybe mm-hmm. uh, can't handle uh, really spicy foods and those kind of things. And so, uh, yeah, it was not great. But um, I lucked out my wife um, every night diligently because because of COVID and all the protocols that were in place at the hospital, um, she couldn't really come into the hospital. So she was very, very kind. Her and my daughter um, brought me dinner basically every night. So wow. I, did get, I did get a home cooked meal um, every night in the hospital much. And I, I was uh, the envy of a lot of people in the hospital. I can tell you that. Yeah. I'll tell you that, you know, I was, I was recently, you know, in the hospital for different reasons because of the birth of our son. And uh, so I ate hospital food as well. And uh, I got to tell you the idea of having two weeks worth of that. Um, yeah. Woof. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the people were very nice. The food, terrible. Okay, well that's fine. I think that's a good review of the of the Canadian healthcare system. Yes. Uh, and, and by the way, I step won't step won't say it, so I will. Uh, I believe the GoFundMe for Matt Step is still up. I know it's linked on my Twitter uh, and then uh, a few other places. So go find the Matt Step GoFundMe, and if you could toss him a couple of bucks, I know he and his family would appreciate it. Uh, and uh, and yeah, yeah, dude. I mean, uh, look, I'm you know, this is, I know this is embarrassing for you to talk about, but like, uh, sure seems like a lot of people like you. That's a uh, that was, an, that was an outpouring of support. Yeah, I mean, can't thank the community, the Texas high school football community, enough for um, all, all the support. Um, 
on the GoFundMe, but even just the the kind words and people texting and, and emailing and messaging me on Twitter and just letting me know they're thinking about me. So uh, very humbling, very overwhelming. And my, my family, myself and my family can, can't thank everyone enough for that. Well, we're sure glad you're doing better. Enough about you. Let's talk some high school football. Matt Step, yeah. it's time. We will start this podcast as we always do. With your Texas high school football fun fact of the week, and this is the last day I can do it because I've got an article coming out tomorrow with this very fact in it. Matt Step, which UIL 11-man team had the greatest improvement in scoring average in 2021 versus 2020? Which UIL Texas high school football 11-man team had the had basically who had the most improved offense mm-hmm. as measured by scoring uh, points per game. So I, I can't log into the admin panel and uh, go into drafts and pull your you. You could, <laughs> and I would probably know. Although I will say, this is one of the things that when I when I ran the numbers and this was the team that came out, there was an easy explanation as to why. But I will I, I will see if you can figure it out. All right, I'm going to take a shot here and go Lubbock Roosevelt. That is an excellent guess. Lubbock Roosevelt. Uh, Lubbock Roosevelt. Oh, come on. Where is it? Where is it? Okay. They are 147th. They improved. See, here's the problem. They actually averaged 35 points a game last year. Oh, they just yeah. averaged 47 this year. Okay. Um, I will tell you that, and this is by – this is 11-man. The, the top four were all six-man teams. But the uh, in number five in 11-man was Shamrock, up, up by 24.3 points. Number two, number four was Toller, up by twenty four point four points. Great year for them. Same thing goes for Lavia, who is number three on this list. That was a team. Correct me if I'm wrong. They got hit real hard by COVID last year. Yeah, maybe only played like two or three games last year total. So that could have wonked out their average maybe a little bit. From number two on the most improved scoring offenses in eleven man football is the Plowboys of Roscoe. Who had a sensational year? It did. Um, but the number one most improved team, Matt up offensively. May, can I interest you in Tioga? The uh, that's a uh, who's their coach? Hmm. It's a guy. I think we know him. Ch- Ch- Chad Rod Rod Chad Rod Gares. Rod, 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 oh Chad, yeah, Chad Rogers, the head coach, the first year head coach at Tioga. That's a. All he does, he, everywhere he goes, he wins, and he's he's got Tioga pointed in the right direction for sure. They improved by this. This is shocking. Remember, this is per game. They scored twenty six point one more points per game on average in twenty twenty one than twenty twenty. It's one extra touchdown per quarter over the course of a. 10 or I guess I think they made the playoffs. So yeah. 11, 11 game season. That's pretty impressive. That's shocking. And, and yeah, they were the most improved offense in 11 man football. Uh, the most improved offense in six man football, by the way, was Whiteface. The mighty antelopes improved by 31 points a game. Uh, but there you go. There you have it. The uh, most improved offense in 2021, uh, Tioga. Those mighty, mighty fighting Chad Rogers is uh, remember back in uh, last year when we were doing coaching change talk and uh, everyone was scratching their heads to why Chad Rogers would leave Denison to go to Tioga. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder if he knows what he's doing. I, just I, think, I, pro- I think I promised him I'd make a game this year too. So I may have to, I'm a man okay. of my word. So you I'm are. Show up. speaking of coaching changes, Matthew, that's where this, uh, your January, 
yeah, I guess this will be the only January edition of Tep and Step is because we will have one yeah. for you next week, but that'll be our realignment uh, instant reaction podcast. Yes. Right. Um, but we're we're going to start. We've got two things on the docket today. We're going to talk coaching changes and we're going to talk realignment preview. We'll start with the coaching changes. You have now finally updated the coaching changes page. Yeah, you know, just like, slack it off, you know, just not doing anything. You know. Got to thumb up your butt just sitting around, you know, doing just, nothing. Just, just collecting a paycheck over here, you know. Not doing <laughs> just anything. collecting a paycheck. Uh, so there have been, according to the TexasFootball.com, uh, coaching change uh, pickups or uh, changes, rather. There have been 79 UIL 11-man coaching changes so far this season. Uh, I'm just going to go there. And we're, we're not out of January yet. In fact, we've got a full week left in January by the time we're recording this. And by the way, there may be one you haven't updated. Uh, there probably is one. I think I, yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, there's there's uh, going to be. I'll, I'll tease this a little bit. There's at least two more tonight that will be happening. It's oh, really? Monday night is school board meeting night, so there'll be at least a couple of more coaching changes tonight. So, so here's what I'm going to do. Year. You know, we always say realignment years are always very busy when it comes to coaching changes. Yeah, it is, and especially these are you know. At least some of these coaches uh, have to know what's coming down the pike um, with realignment. Of course, there'll probably be even more starting next week. Uh, I'm just going to literally go down the the site and or go down the page and, and see which ones really uh, jump out at me. Um, first of all, you know, I will say this: it, it, it's a, a kind of an under the radar coaching change. Uh, but our buddy, uh, our buddy Anthony Chris is uh, is is uh, leaving at, at the helm of Arlington Sam Houston. He'd been there. I mean, you won't talk about a long-time coach there in AISD, but he's he's taking another role within AISD, correct? Yeah, he's he's for the rest of the semester. He's going to retire at the end of the year, and uh, I think Coach Chris is angling angling for a gig on Texas football today. So don't be surprised to see him come hmm. in the office. Oh, okay, interesting. He wants to be That's a guest, a guest analyst or something. So we can tell Coach Chris we'd find it. We'd find a place for him. Well, at least you know we gotta have somebody who knows something about football. Um, okay, in uh, file this under. Uh, you gotta make your make your short putts. Um, Austin Westlake, as promised, came open with Todd Dodge. Mm-hmm. Although technically, I think right now, what did he say on our show? He's like through the end of the month, he's still the head coach. Um, uh, yeah, but they had they had the press conference last week, and he had the ceremonial. Yeah. He tossed Coach Salazar the keys and, and that kind of yeah. thing. I, he, I, I bet he's I bet he's not in the office very much right now. I'm just gonna. Go I would bet. Him. I would bet not. But anyway, uh, uh, again, you got to tap it. You got to tap it in. Uh, Westlake tapped it in. They promoted Tony Salazar to the to the surprise of absolutely nobody. But then again, look, there have been other there have been other jobs where we've been like, no, this is the guy. He's absolutely needs to should get the job. And he didn't. So I guess I guess good on Westlake for for not screwing up the uh, the easy the easy play here. Well, remember last year with Liberty Hill when when, Uh you know, Jeff Walker tragically passed away and his brother took over. And took him to the semifinals, and then Liberty Hill decided, "Yeah, we'll open it up and interview people." We we're like, "What? What? What are you doing?" The the guy mm-hmm. is right here, and they thankfully got it right after a while. But uh, they, they took the long way, long way. While Westlake uh, was very efficient, and they had their guy identified from the jump, and, and well deserved for Coach Tony Salazar. He's he, he stuck around Westlake for a reason, and he's one of the was one of the top defensive coordinators in, in the state. And I think Westlake will be just fine. This one's a little surprising. It came down recently. Uh, Brian, uh, Ross Rogers, who has been uh, – that's an OG. 
260 wins, is retiring after 36 years. Congratulations to him. He he was he was all over that that Brazos Valley area. You know, of course, he won the title at AM Consolidated. Um, you know, he coached at Giddings, he coached at Bryan, of course, uh, Killeen Harker Heights, Waller, all over that kind of part of the world. Um, they have hired Ricky Tullis, who is on the move again. Of course, he's got a state championship under his belt from uh, from George Ranch, but he is leaving Pearland. Uh, I'll be honest. This one popped across my Twitter feed, and 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 uh, it, it took me aback a little bit. This is a home run hire for Brian Derek Rush, mm-hmm. the AD. You know, Derek Rush, uh, former head coach there at John Tyler and Conroe Oak Ridge, is now the AD. And Brian, he, I think he he hit a home run with this hire. Um, coach Tullis is one of the most well respected coaches in the Houston area. His record speaks for itself. Um, he did great things at Cleveland in his first head coaching stint. Obviously, the state title at George Ranch, and I thought he's done a really good job at Pearland. And, you know, Pearland to most is considered a power program in the Houston area. For So for him to leave Pearland to go take mm-hmm. over at Bryan, which has kind of been a decent program, you know, over the years, nothing, nothing special, um, raised a lot of eyebrows. And so when I, when I saw it come across, I was, you know, when I got the news that, that he was the guy, I was, I was very surprised. Um, and so I, I'm thinking, you know, this has got to be, you know, you got to think it's, there's there's a great offer that he got from Brian ISD. It could be family ties to that, you know, because I mean, on the surface, it doesn't look like Brian's a quote unquote better job than Pearland. So, you've got to think there's something off the field um, from a quality of life standpoint that that attracted Coach Tullis to this job. But it's a great hire for Brian, who's kind of going going into UIL realignment with a lot of uncertainty because of where they look, where they're ge- geographically mm-hmm. located, being in Class Six A. Yeah, it's going to be very strange. They're going to be. We're going to talk realignment here in a bit, and they're going to be certainly a team, a bit of a bellwether team as far as realignment is concerned. I'm going to lump these two together because they're in the same part of the country, or same part of the state, rather, part of the country too, and uh, and they they have a similar tie. Uh, both El Paso Coronado and El Paso Socorro have come open. Uh, Bob Anderson is retiring from Coronado. Uh, he's been at Coronado for 10 years. Uh, and then uh, El Paso Socorro, uh, uh, our buddy Anthony Hensley, was reassigned after three years there, of course, helped end their long losing streak. Uh, we were there. Uh, we saw we it happen. Not saying, not, I'm just saying that we, you know, a little credit should've, would be happy. Should have had us out for every game, is what I say. <laughs> anyway, the. Um, all that's to say is that Coronado and Socorro have each hired their own El Paso Pebble Hills co-offensive coordinator. Uh, Mike Pry is going to Coronado, and Eddie Cano is going to uh, Socorro. Yeah, Coach Mark Torres there at Pebble Hills has done a great job. Develop- I mean, last year he had uh, Chris Taylor, one of his assistants, took the uh, El Paso Andrus job. So that's three assistants from Coach Torres' staff that the past two years have become head coaches there in El Paso. So – to credit coach coach Mark Torres and that very young Pebble Hills program for developing future head coaches, but obviously um, Coach Torres has now got to rebuild his staff at, at, a, at a team where Pebble Hills um, has some high, high hopes to compete for a district championship. Uh, coach Pry is a graduate of Coronado, so that kind of made a lot of sense for him to take the Coronado job. And then C- Coach Cano going to Socorro, you know, he's got a lot. It's a, it's a rebuilding job. Socorro's a, a tough tough gig, and so Coach Cano knows it well, but I'm, I'm sure he's up for the challenge. Um, in uh, a few in DFW, let's let's go here. Um, Eulis Trinity's open uh, after Chris Jensen retired after seven years there. Um, of course, he had some some great success to the regional uh, regional finals twenty seventeen that 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 went over Allen in twenty twenty. Um, they're going to hire tonight, I believe. They're hiring tonight. Yeah, and since this won't be posted till tomorrow, I'll just go ahead and say they're hiring Aaron Aaron Lineweaver. 
who is the oh really South Lake, yes the South Lake Carroll defensive line coach who is the son of former Trinity head coach Steve Lineweaver. Ah, well, there you go. Yeah, uh, yes. I will make sure that I don't post this podcast till tomorrow morning. Then, uh, <laughs> um, okay, that's big doings there. Uh, and then in DF, or, uh, saying in DFW, a pair of uh, a pair of coaches who we have a lot of respect for and like, uh, both retired, both at, and then both promoted uh, from within. Uh, McKinney Boyd, Joe McBride, retiring after ten years. Uh, you know, uh, he, he's been at uh, Boyd for the last three. Daniel Foster, their offensive coordinator, promoted, and then over at Rockwell Heath, Mike Spradlin uh, retiring after uh, 18 years as a head coach at Temple and at Rockwell Heath, uh, and now he's uh, and it's their assistant head coach John Harrell being promoted there. Uh, I would, I assume, no surprises on either of those. No, no surprises at all. I think both situations are very similar in that uh, both coaches went to those programs for three years, kind of turned around struggling programs and kind of got them stood up and in, in, in a great, great, great position to hand the keys over to it, to their assistant uh, to lead the way. And they, those coaches can kind of ride off into the sunset. So um, good, good on Rockwall ISD and McKinney ISD for, uh, you know, keeping it inside with, with those programs that are, that are in really good shape. Uh, in San Antonio, uh, Mark Soto is leaving San Antonio Johnson to go to Converse, or I'm sorry, San Antonio Johnson to go to Converse Judson. Obviously, done a great job there. Uh, their defensive coordinator, they promote from within uh, T.P. Miller. Uh, I pres- that that feels like, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Keep a uh, keep a sense of continuity at Johnson as T.P. Miller, the new coach of the Jaguars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Coach Soto. I mean, you go, you go ten and zero last year, and and. You know, obviously the dreaded ten and one, but Coach Soto the, in the two years he was at Johnson did a fantastic job. Can't really blame him for going back to his alma mater there in Converse Judson. But Coach T.P. Miller, um, you know, was was with Coach Soto at San Marcos, um, has, has kind of put in the time and was a deserving hire there at San Antonio Johnson. Northeast ISD down there in San Antonio has a history of usually promoting from within. They're very big on, on promoting their own when head coaching positions come open. All right, I'm just going to ask a question, and and you may not have a great answer for it, uh, but um, uh, th- this this struck me uh, probably flew under people's radar because they were two and eight last year. But what's going on at Laporte? Uh, they're about to be on their fourth coach in f- five years, I think. Yeah, um, things things are not great there, and, and just didn't go well with, with Jackson Tar. They're coming over from Crosby. Um, they decided to make a change. Um, you know, Laporte, I think, had some high hopes to do some things when they dropped down to Class 5A two years ago, and it just has not material, materialized for them at all. Um, so, um, yeah. if I'm Laporte, I, I go back to the days of Jeff Loral and try to find an assistant from that staff when, when they were having some success in Class 6A mm-hmm. and see if they can restore some of that some of that past glory that they've kind of lost. But because you're right, it's it's been a lot of turnover in that program and a, and a lack of continuity. And, and in that part of the state, if you have that, you're not going to fare well because the competition is so fierce week in and week out. Um, all right. This one came down today, and I believe you were the one who broke it, uh, a, a classic step bomb. Let's talk about Bastrop. Um, Todd Patman out after, after nine seasons um, and – I would say they made a pretty splashy hire and one that certainly certainly caused me to stop in my Twitter tracks when you tweeted out that uh, that Jake Greedle's going to take over. Yeah, um, you know, Bastrop last week hired uh, Brenham head coach, Bastrop ISD, because Bastrop ISD has two high mm-hmm. schools. You have Bastrop High School and Cedar Creek High School. And so they hired Brenham head coach Elliot Allen uh, two weeks ago to be the district athletic director. So they make a splashy hire for the district AD because Brenham, 
I think is a quality job that's now open. And then Coach Allen, obviously, with his first hire, uh, does great with Jake Greedle. Coach Greedle um, has ties to Central Texas. I believe his wife is from the area. He's coached down in Central Texas. He's been in Bernie. He's been at Lake Travis. Um, so it's a natural fit for him to come back closer to home to, to be at Lake, um, at Bastrop. Um, but when you look at it from a football standpoint, he's got a lot of work to do because Marshall is traditionally one of the top teams in East Texas. They put in a lot of um, uh, facility improvements. They've got a, a kind of a covered uh, facility now. where they, they, It's not a true indoor, but it's a, it's a football field that's got, got a roof on it. And so they've got kind of a, a lot of investment in their facilities. And they were expected to contend for a district championship next year and, and be a team that can contend to go three, four rounds deep in the playoffs. And Bastrop has not been that way since uh, early 2000, you know, early teens when uh, Josiah Monroe was the quarterback there at Bastrop. Um, mm. And they were, they were doing some big things back in the day. It's, it's been 10 years since Bastrop really has been a team that could challenge to even get out of the first round of the playoffs. So um, from a football standpoint, it's an interesting move. But again, I think uh, because of the connections to that part of the state, um, it was, it was a good move for coach Greedle. Uh, all right, let's move on because this is the whole point of us doing this podcast. Uh, go ahead and sell me on the 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 move for Everman. Uh, I feel like this is. I'll give you like twenty five minutes, however long you need, to talk yeah. about the Everman well, coaching it'll, change. It'll be a Bulldogs filibuster. So yeah, so uh, Dale, <laughs> so Dale Matlock uh, retired. Uh, he took over obviously f- uh, four years ago for the legendary, uh, the legend Dale Keeling there at my alma mater, the Everman Bulldogs. Um, Coach Matlock, uh, this was kind of expected. He was going to be a kind of a caretaker and kind of take the program into, into the next generation. And so he you know, was there for four years. Um, Everman had a playoff win last year, been in the playoffs every year. Um, and so, you know, he, he felt like the, it was time for him to move into an athletic director only role. And he promotes um, Michael Boone to the head football coach position. Coach Boone has been at Everman for, I believe, 18 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so longtime assistant on staff uh, has held many different roles there um, at Everman, and uh, you know, I think was was the was the choice from an experience standpoint point that the administration wanted to go with. So um, I think the program's in good shape. Uh, Coach Boone's going to do a good job, and hopefully uh, he'll have my Bulldogs uh, making deep playoff runs once again. Because back uh, to their back to their former glory. Yes, yes. Um, all right, let's go west to east. Uh, Joe Cluley. Uh, leaving Lubbock Estacado to take over uh, at, uh, at at Mount Pleasant. Richie Pinkard moves into the athletic director role, and uh, Joe Cluley uh, moving moving his family all the way across the state, basically. Yeah, and this is another move. You know, Coach Cluley actually, his dad was a head coach in the uh, '80s, and his mm-hmm. dad spent four years as I think no three years, excuse me, he spent three years as the head coach at Mount Pleasant. Mm-hmm. So Coach Cluley actually grew, spent three years of his childhood living in Mount Pleasant. Um, I believe Coach Cluley's wife is from Tyler, so there again, there's family connections there. He's moving closer to home. Coach Cluley is his family is 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 in the Wichita Falls area, so um, it makes sense from a fam- from a, that standpoint. And I think it's a step up. You know, he 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 moves up to a 5A program uh, in a single school ISD district, so um, it's definitely a, a, a when you're climbing the, the coaching ladder, this is a, a move that makes a lot of sense going from uh, Lubbock Estacado to. Um, to Mount Pleasant. And, you know, Estacado is a, an attractive job that's open, though. Lubbock ISD t- takes great care of their coaches. Estacado is a place that can win. And they're actually filling up two, um, two head coaching jobs because uh, Lubbock Monterey is also mm-hmm. open with the retirement of Wayne Hutchison. Yeah, it's a two-time state champion head coach who's retiring there in, in Wayne Hutchinson. Um, all right. 
down to Southeast Texas, uh, this, I believe it was Ashley Elam down there at w, uh, KBMT, I believe it is, uh, who broke that uh, Sulphur Springs is going to hire Brandon Faircloth from uh, from PNG. The winningest coach in uh, in PNG history is going to take over at Sulphur Springs. I know you had been you've been hearing some things about this. Yeah, we've been kind of on on it for a while now, hearing that Coach Faircloth was the guy. And, and uh, on the surface, a lot of people are going to go, "Man, wh- you know, PNG is a team that was eight and five last year in Class Five A, a consistent winner down down there in the Golden Triangle. Why would he leave?" and go to Sulphur Springs, who was 0-10. And, 10. and it, from a football standpoint, you're kind of questioning it. But, you know, Port Inches Groves is a place that's really hard on coaches. They have high expectations. They, there's a lot of uh, cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, when it comes to the boosters and the community and that kind of thing. It, it, it's a place that can wear on you. And Coach Faircloth had been there 13 years. And I think some of the folks there had gotten a little spoiled um, thinking that what they were doing was not quote unquote good enough. I mean, they mm-hmm. went to the third round of the playoffs last year. And for a lot of people, that's not good enough. And so I think it's one of those situations where maybe it's a, it's better to leave a job a year early than to stay a year too late. And I think mm-hmm. this was maybe the situation here. And Sulphur Springs was a, an attractive opening for Coach Faircloth. He gets to be the athletic director and coach at a place with some great facilities and kind of rebuild what was once a proud program. Um, and, and they're dropping down to class 4A. So I think that's a, that's going to help uh, Silver Springs kind of reestablish some footing as well as they drop from class 5A down to class 4A. Uh, speaking of 4A, uh, let's talk about Cal Allen because we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the uh, the winningest coach in Texas high school football history retired uh, in in Phil Danaher. Um, another, they finished with a record of 490, 118 and four, and I think he was satisfied that nobody would ever catch him. And yeah. he's probably right. Um, I, I, know he, I know he wanted 500, but I, I just oh, don't man. think his health just was not. Yeah. Up to uh, it, 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 I just, he wouldn't let him. Let, he, he couldn't continue. From what we understand, uh, he had been delegating more and more of his of the jobs there, and so um, and this was this uh, another like tap it in like d- just make your short putts. Steve Campbell has been his defensive coordinator for uh, uh, thirty <laughs> years. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's been, he's been the right hand man there for in Cal yeah. which Dan Hurd. And so he's he's taking over. Um, no surprise there. We certainly wish Coach Danaher the, the best in retirement. A good a good friend of Dave Campbell's. Um, all right. Elsewhere, let's see. Uh, I guess we should talk about Brian Bell. He had a nice month. Yeah, he wins a state championship <laughs> at China Spring and then gets a college <laughs> offer to go to go coach at Baylor. So pretty good, pretty good run for him. And, for, and then he goes to the, he was he goes to New Orleans and they win the Sugar Bowl. Sugar Bowl. So yeah, uh, nice little month. Having, having a good month. And China we, Spring do, is going to be one of the most attractive jobs that's open in the state of Texas. Even though they're moving from Division two to Division one, that's still an elite job. I was going to say, do you, do we have any read on? Are they're going to do a full on open it up search and, oh, and yeah. see see who see who piles in the in the in the in the van? Yes, and I can I can yeah I can imagine every most every big name coach in Central Texas will probably at least get a sniff there at China Spring. They're they're going to have their pick of uh, coaches there at China Spring. They're, they're going to get a quality candidate for sure. Uh, this one also surprised me. Uh, Daryl Barbe uh, leaving Jasper uh, to go to Mansfield, Louisiana. If you know where Jasper is and you know where Mansfield, Louisiana is, he is crossing the border, but he's going like down the street basically. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's, I mean, he's coming off of, I mean, just back 2018 where Jasper was in the regional semifinals. I mean, this was, this was a little surprising to me that he, that he would make that leap across the, across the state border. 
I'm wondering if this is one of those retire double dip things where he can retire mm. in the state of Texas and draw retirement while still drawing a full salary in Louisiana. Ah, God, I think that's what this is. Um, <clears throat> the Jasper's a quality opening. That's a that's a place that never lacks for talent. I'm yeah. talking about, talking to my good friend Gabe Brooks there at 24/7 Sports, who is a noted Carthage homer. Um, he'll be the first to admit that Jasper is really the only team in their district that really physically can match up with Carthage and. And so whoever gets that Jasper job, I think, has the raw material to put together an elite program. So we talked a little bit earlier about Laporte having their fifth coach in four years. Uh, West Orange Stark is going to have their third coach since 1980. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Dan Hooks, of course, was uh, – Dan Ray Hooks was, was at there forever uh, from 1980 until 2010. Uh, and then uh, Cornell Thompson took over, and he's been the coach ever since. Um, he uh, retires, uh, and boy, howdy. Uh, no pressure, Hiawatha Hickman. But uh, but but this is this is the kind of job where you you know you don't start sending out feelers to other jobs. Uh, he he is the third coach since 1980 for the Mustangs. You know they always say it's it's really hard to follow a legend, and it it is. Most most coaches do not succeed when following a legend. How hard is it to follow two legends? Because Jeez. Cornell Thompson did did amazing things there at West Orange Stark. It took him to four straight state championship games, winning two of them. Um, consistently had the Mustangs as one of the best programs uh, in Class 4A Division II. So uh, Coach Hickman's been been there an assistant there at West Orange Stark, I believe, for the past eight years. So obviously he's familiar with the program. But, I mean, he's got his work cut out for him because he's following two legends. And so yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to see because uh, the expectations are not going to change there at I'm, West Orange Stark, I can assure I'm you. making a note. I'm going to book him for the show. Um, all right. Let's see. What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Um, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, Kermit. I mentioned this on Text Football today, uh, but uh, hey, if you're if you're an assistant on a team that has the best year in program history, you're probably going to get some uh, some some offers to coach some jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kermit, Nate Gensler from uh, Lubbock Roosevelt, the defensive coordinator, uh, getting his first crack at being a head coach there at uh, at Kermit. Yeah, L- Lubbock Roosevelt with the fourteen and one season last year. Every- everybody talks about the flex bone offense and the-, the damage they did, but they were a really strong defensive team as well. So, um, Coach Gens- Gensler gets his shot to uh, build build a program there at Kermit, who's really struggled uh, the past three mm-hmm. four years. Um, East Texas. Um, Jason Holman goes to take over at Jacksonville. That opens up, uh, so he leaves Tatum to go there. Uh, Am I okay being shocked that Whitney Keeling would leave Wascombe to go to Tatum? I mean, Tatum's a good job, but so is Wascombe. <laughs> like, I wonder if Coach Keeling just decided he wanted a new challenge. You know, and Tatum, mm. Tatum is they, they've made a huge investment in their facilities. They're they're a program that has a lot of tradition, and I wonder if Coach Keeling just felt like you know what I've been here twelve years. I've I've done I've won two state championships here. Maybe he just felt he was just ready for a new challenge, and so he goes and basically takes his whole whole coaching staff with him to uh, to Tatum, including uh, quarterback Cole Watson, the uh, who will be a junior next year to uh, Tatum as well. So it's a it's a double whammy for Wascom losing their head coach, but also losing their starting quarterback who still had two more years left and who's a really good player. So um, great great pickup for Tatum and I, and I expect Tatum to be a, a force. They were they were a good team last year. They went eight and three last year. I, I expect Coach Keeling to uh, have Tatum rolling here very quickly. I am. I'm not. I'm not in the business of um, calling coaches liars on this show, but I'm reading here that David T. Sign has announced his retirement, and uh, I simply don't believe it. 
Uh, I that this I'm telling you, man, and you know, you and person. I, you and I know Coach Sign. Yes. Um, uh, he retires after 21 years, 132.97. He's at Flatonia, Sonora, Columbus, Bandera, and then most recently at Johnson City. Um, I just like I don't think he knows how to sit still. That's the problem. Like yeah. this, this strikes me as he's going to have a year off, and like by week six, he's going to be like texting you saying, Hey man, what jobs you're here? That's coming up. He's going to be at a game every week. <laughs> he's going to be just, he doesn't, he, he already told me he doesn't have any hobbies. So it's like, coach, <laughs> if you don't have any hobbies, why would you quit coaching? Um, so yeah, I don't know what he's going to do. His, his wife's probably going to tell him he needs to, just to get a job, and get him, get him the hell out of the house. Um, uh, another one that flew under people's radar, maybe, um, uh, Archer city is open. Uh, after Shad Hanna is, is stepping away after 16 seasons, uh, a guy who, I mean, you talk about really, a coach who probably never got his due, a guy who was a really good coach at a few different places, uh, and uh, and he's going to step away from coaching there, opening up Archer City. But a, a nice year for the Wildcats this year. Yeah, I, I think this might be a job that stays in-house. I think I think Coach, coach Hanna is going to stay on in Archer City uh, and teach. I believe mm. his daughter is an athlete, and I think he just wanted to l- spend a little more time with her for her senior season, uh, watching her play and that kind of thing. So it wouldn't surprise me if Archer City um, kept that in an in, in internal hire. Uh, and finally, uh, the last one is literally the last one on the list. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Water Valley. For the first time, I get to ask you about Water Valley. Yeah. Um, Water Valley is making the move to 11 man. Uh, uh, I think much contrary to, to what they, yes, yeah, much to their surprise. Yes. Uh, Nathan Hayes, who's a really good six man coach. Uh, I believe kind of looked around and goes like, I'm a six man coach and I would prefer, I, I, I haven't talked with him, but I would prefer, I, I imagine he's looking around and be like, I would prefer to be a six man coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're looking for a job. Now I know there's two six man teams who are moving up. It's Water Valley and it's Sterling city. Correct. Um, Sterling City, of course, uh, you know, won a state championship a couple of years ago. Uh, a really good, a really good program. Um, and we'll talk about this more in our realignment thing. But correct me if I'm wrong. Let me make sure I can actually I can check this out. Um, you should know, by the way, that uh, Water Valley plays at Diddle Young Field, which is awesome. Um, which they recently remodeled and put. Like they're going to have to do like I thought I read somewhere they're, they're they have like. I think half a million dollars in renovations they're going to have to do to get the field ready for 11 man. Yes. They just recently poured a lot of money into it, but it's a six man field. And so now they're going to have to expand Correct. it to that's, an 11 man field. Yeah. That's Sterling city. Sterling city. Um, Eagle stadium has artificial playing surface. It is a, it is a, it is a turf six man field. And I will tell you that in talking with some coaches, some six man coaches at uh, state championship games, they were like, this is a, like a huge deal in Sterling City because they just – like this is a relatively recently renovated thing. And now basically because like they've got six kids too many, uh, it's going to cost – like these are the most expensive kids in their school. Yeah, and, uh, and, the, and the thing is there, there's, some, there's some wiggle room there with, with UIL realignment where if you're – if you like, because th- they don't want teams to have to pop up and pop down from six man football to eleven man football because of the investment. So there's there's some loopholes where if you have lower numbers, you know, in, in the classes behind, you could stay in six man and turn mm-hmm. that in as your realignment number. So apparently, at least for Rick, Starling City and Water Valley, they're going to be in eleven man at least for one to two realignment cycles. It looks like. 
It is uh, a big time doings down there at uh, in, in the coaching change world, and it's only going to get more, by the way. This is just the start. You can find all the coaching changes at texasfootball.com. All right, Matthew, we are one week and I guess from today, three days, 10 days away from uh, one of the most, I would say, ooh, is this true? I think I would say probably the most impactful day in Texas high school football every two years. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, it's it's because every school in the state is impacted. You know, you look at the state championships, and yeah, they're huge, and, and they're great games. They're a lot of fun, but it only impacts the two teams that are playing in that game. UIL realignment impacts every school in the state. In some form or fashion, everybody's impacted. So that's that's what is fun and what's crazy about UIL realignment. It's just it's because everyone is touched by it, and that's why it's so impactful every two years. And so we've got a lot to talk about, okay? Like tons and tons and tons to talk about. We're, we're, we're not even going to try to do all of it. But here's what we are going to do. Uh, we're going to go classification by classification. Because if you don't know, we do know which class every team is going to be in. Because the team has uh, – they've, they've released the, uh, the cutoff numbers. Uh, everyone – they've posted the enrollment numbers, et cetera, et cetera. There may be a few – Things teams we don't know about that are like opting up, but those are going to be we know about almost all of them, right? Like there's yeah, I, not. I believe the UIL is not going to let anyone else opt up based on what I've been told. We'll see if that holds true, but as, as you know, if the numbers and the and the classifications that are posted on the website, I'd say ninety nine percent. You can pretty much assume that's where those those schools are going to land. And and so. Uh, here's what I want to do is I want to go class by class and I want uh, I want to hear from you as far as what is one or two things you're really going to be paying attention to when the alignments come out. It can just be uh, it can be a whole region. It can be a part of the state. It could be a single team, uh, things like that. Uh, what are you paying attention to? Maybe just this is kind of like a, a Cribs Notes version of how we are going to get the read the alignments. Because what happens, if you don't know, um, at 9 o'clock, the UIL just posts it on their website. Hey, nope, 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 nope. You put some respect on the UIL's name. Remember, last year, last realignment, 2020, this is in the before times. Remember, it's like February 2020. It was, it was like a month, time. It, was it a month? Before, it was a month before the world shut down. That's exactly right. A month before the world shut down. Um, we were out at Birdville and credit to the UIL. The website did not crash. It ran a little slow, did not crash. but it did now, not crash. We, we did have a jokester who somehow got a hold of the 3A Division II realignment 20 minutes before nine o'clock. And that was a, we, we don't talk about that, but it was, it that was, was Oh, it boy. was yeah, it was a it was an oh boy moment. But the UIL website did not crash, so for the first time ever, they, they I think they've they've got it right. So shout out to the UIL for that. Okay, so we're gonna go class by class, and this is what we these are the first things that we are going to look for in each classification whenever we get our hands on that sweet sweet packet of data. Uh, and so let's start with the biggest classification. Uh, start with class. Uh, start with class six A. There are, of course, teams that are moving up. Most notably, uh, like uh, Highland Park uh, is is moving up to to six A uh, for this year. But when when you get the packet, where uh, and you look at six A, where are your eyes going to go first? I'm looking at Central Texas, and here's why: Colleen ISD is opening a new high school this year, Chaparral High School, and all but one of their schools are moving down to class five A. So what you're left with in Central Texas is basically 
Copper's Cove, Harker Heights, and Temple, uh, who were, who remain, in, and also Belton's opening an opening a new high school, so Belton's dropping to Class Five A. So you're left with basically three schools in the old Central Texas, old twelve six A. So mm-hmm. my first look is what happens to Brian? Does Brian stay with those schools, or does Brian get sent back to Houston, where they really struggled uh, the previous realignment when they were aligned with the Cy Fair ISD schools? So I'm looking there, and then I'm looking at Waco Midway. Waco Midway got sent north into a brutal district with Duncanville, DeSoto, and Cedar Hill um, this last realignment and did not fare well. Um, does Midway move back and join those schools? And then, But still, even if Midway moves back, those schools, it's not enough schools to comprise a full district. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking those schools are going to move south into the Austin area, and the big question becomes who from the Austin area gets sent north to play with the Super, super Centex schools. Um, the other one other thing I'm going to keep an eye on in 6A is um, so we're first of all I, I I this is this is me saying this in in the mocks that I've seen and, and stuff that I've talked about um, I do think that you're still going to have two Austin area team or Austin districts in Region Four is that fair to assume right now. Yeah, so it looks like in Austin you've got twenty six A schools right now because they've got several yeah. schools that are moving up. So you're you're thinking at least two full districts, most likely in Region Four, and I think the leftovers end up in Region Two with the Central Texas schools to kind of form a, a Central Texas Austin hybrid district in Region Two. And one of the things that that to me is very interesting is you um with all these schools and especially with where these schools are being opened. And you only have something to remember. You only have a finite number of districts. You have 32 districts. Uh, there's going to be a squeeze at the bottom. And by the bottom, I mean the bottom of the state. I mean the Rio Grande Valley. I mean Laredo. Um, I think there's a possibility that they take basically uh, – because right now you have a Laredo district. Uh, you have two Rio Grande Valley districts. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're going to try to put, put – put, I wonder if they're going to try to put three districts into two. Yeah, I mean, there are several six. There's a few six A's in the Rio Grande Valley that are dropping down to Class Five A. So I, mm-hmm. I think it's almost a certainty that the Rio Grande Valley, which in the 2018-2019 realignment had three full districts to themselves, is mm-hmm. going to go down to one full district and then a half district that's combined with the Laredo schools. Because you have <sighs> to also have to look at the growth in San Antonio. I think San Antonio, with mm-hmm. you know Sotomayor High School opening up and some new schools opening up, San Antonio continues to grow, and it kind of, like you said, squeezes the bottom of the state, especially as those schools in the Rio Grande Valley continue to drop out of 6A and into Class 5A. Well, and by the way, you might be thinking like, oh, what's the big deal? Like, why, why do we care? Uh, that is, um, if you're not from down there, Laredo is not close to the Rio Grande Valley. <laughs> like it's that's a haul, man. Yeah, depending um, on where you're going in the valley, it's two hours from Laredo yeah. to you know basically the middle of the Rio Grande Valley. Yeah, to like to Edinburgh or Westlaco or something like yeah. that. Anyway, um, so that's something certainly to keep an eye on in six A. All right, five A D one, Matt Step, where are your eyes going to go first when you check out five A D one? First, looking at Abilene High. Abilene High is dropping from 6A to 5A. The big question for me with Abilene High is do they go west or do they go east? They could go west and get aligned in a district with the Lubbock and Amarillo schools, or they could go west and get put into a district with the western Fort Worth schools, you know, such as Granbury, Alito, who is moving up to Division I, uh, Fort Worth Brewer, Azel, those types of schools. So looking at Abilene High first, and I'm also looking at Lufkin. Lufkin, the past few alignments, has been aligned with the uh, northern Houston schools. But you, you, if you look at Lufkin's district as it currently stands, it's basically getting shredded up because I think half the district is moving up to Class 6A. So 
I think there's a good chance Lufkin gets sent north back with old rivals from East Texas, Longview and Tyler into a uh, East and kind of Southern uh, DFW district. I also want to see what the makeup of region four is going to look like, because you remember when realignment came out last time, we looked at region four and we were like, uh, Hey, who's going to win this? Um, you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a real power broker. Does a, does a power emerge in region four or will it be a similar kind of who wants it type situation? Um, that's something that I'm going to keep my eye on in 5A D1. Region four is going to be really interesting. I I think with 5A division one, I think the Rio Grande Valley is going to get two districts. I think what we're going to see in four is two Rio Grande Valley districts. Uh, combine one of them combined with with Laredo, so you'll have a, a full Valley District, mm-hmm. a, a Valley Laredo combo district, and then in District 14, I think you're going to see the Corpus Christi schools, and then in District 13, probably a, a San Antonio based district. So what that's going to do is push another San, the other San Antonio district into Region Three. Mm. All right, 582. Um, what about 582? Well, uh, you know what? I'll just answer the question. Let's talk about El Paso. Because, uh, because you know, it's it's all about the margins, right? Um, five. If you guys don't know, can you explain the mess in El Paso as far as what's going on uh, with, especially when with regards to five eighty two? Yeah. So what happened is is uh, El Paso with um, it was uh, Eastwood El Paso. Basically, in five A Division one, this last realignment, El Paso ISD only had four teams in the district. Well, two of those schools have are moving up to class six A. Which just uh, which just leaves one, excuse, excuse me one school's moving to six A which that is El Dorado and Chapin is dropping down to class five A division two to play with the other El Paso ISD schools so basically what you had left in El Paso by enrollment was two schools in Isleta ISD that were by themselves on an island in five A division one in Del Valle and Bel Air so mm-hmm. what Isleta ISD decided to do was to prevent those schools from having incredible travel, having to go to Lubbock and Amarillo to play district games. They've opted up the other Isleta ISD schools into Division One to create a district there. So now Isleta basically has their own 5A Division One district uh, comprising of the Isleta ISD schools, which makes it a 16 district. Well, what that's done now in 5A Division Two is leave a little bit of a gap there because several El Paso ISD programs have dropped down to Class 4A. So Bowie... Um, Irvin and Austin have all dropped down to class 4A. So it's what's left is a bit of a glut um, in El Paso as far as class 5A goes. They'll have enough to have a Division II district because you've, you've got um, El Paso High, Andrus, Burgess, Chapin, and Jefferson. So you've got a 16 district there in Division II, uh, but there's a lot of change in El Paso. And, and basically they're going from two Division II districts down to one Division II district because of the opt-ups. So that's going to open up. Um, a lot of change in region one because now everything's going to shift because you're basically picking up an extra district. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all going to, all going to, to roll over. Um, elsewhere in five AD two, um, I know you are paying attention to what's going, especially those, we, we talk, mentioned those central Texas schools like Belton, uh, the new Chaparral school and then, uh, and then Waco U, uh, opportunity to go North opportunity to go South. Uh, and then on the coastal bend, uh, Corpus Christi Flower Bluff is dropping down, correct? Yes. Yeah, so Flower Bluff and Gregory Portland had Division II enrollments in the last alignment. They opted up to Division I for travel purposes the last realignment. They decided not to opt up and play where their enrollment places them in this alignment, but they're on an island because they're the only two schools 
located on the coastal bend. So the question with those two schools is, does the UIL send them north and west into the San Antonio area, or does the UIL send them south uh, into a, a district with, with uh, some Rio Grande Valley schools? Uh, my guess is, is from a travel standpoint, it's a little bit closer and less traffic for them to go south into the Rio Grande Valley. So I think we could see um, two 5A Division II districts in the Rio Grande Valley, one consisting of a hybrid district with Corpus Christi, Flower Bluff, and Gregory Portland included. For a Division One, uh, a lot of a lot of change going on here. Argyle is most notably leaving, uh, so that's going to certainly open some things up. And and really, that kind of part of the the world is where you might have the most intrigue. Argyle, Salina moving up from Four A Division Two. Uh, Stephenville's always kind of caught in the middle. Um, it seems like that's the real area of intrigue, that kind of big country, central Texas DFW glut that, that has come to represent real the power nexus of, of 4A Division One. Yeah, you, you look at region, especially in Region 1, because you have the 14 districts that have been so prevalent in that part of the state in 4A Division One. Does the UIL consolidate a couple of districts and maybe move someone over into Region 1 from Region 2, i.e. Stephenville, Waco, La Vega, China Spring, and that group and moves them over to Region 1. So I'm, I'm keeping an eye on that. Um, Andrews and Big Spring are on a little bit of an island. Um, the UIL could mm-hmm. send them out to El Paso, or they could send them uh, north into the Lubbock and the Panhandle area. Either way, they're probably looking at a lot of travel um, along with San Angelo Lakeview. So I'll be interested to see what they do there because the UIL, tr- they, they don't want to do four-team districts. I mean, they could do a four-team district in West Texas and kind of have Big Spring, Andrews, Estacado, and Lakeview in a district. <sighs> But no one really likes those fourteen districts. Travel non-district scheduling is a pain, and you're playing seven non-district games, and it's it's just a marathon. So, I think the UIL is going to try to split those schools up and try to have at least five or sixteen districts out in Region One. Four AD two. Um, there is a few different things to keep an eye on, but uh, is it fair to say that that Texoma might hold the key to what everything's going to look like downstream? Yeah, you've got a lot of movement there with Hershey dropping down to um, to Division Two, but you're losing Iowa Park and and uh, Vernon to Class Three A. So, um, what's what are they? What does the UIL send uh, some schools from West Texas over to Texoma, or or do they send uh, Gainesville, Sanger, Crum, and send those schools um, out west to to form that district? And I think that that's going to hold a key to a lot of the rest of the state because the the realignment's going to kind of domino. Um, off what happens in Texoma. And then you look at far South Texas, um, you know, there's District 16, 4A, Division 2. Last alignment was an eight-team district. Um, there's a possibility with with movement of schools with Orange Grove and Bishop moving up from Class 3A into 4A. Um, we could see a nine-team district um, in far, far South Texas, which is very rare for anything outside of Class 5A and 6A. Um, if they don't do a nine-team district, then I expect Senton and Ingleside to possibly go get sent north into into a district with maybe Cuero and Gonzalez and those types of schools. It is uh, it's a little bit of chaos there, and, and we're going to find out exactly how things break out there. Three um, A Division One now, uh, where boy, a, a few different things to, to keep an eye on. Most notably, up in the Panhandle, because um, there's going to be there's correct me if I'm wrong. There's three Panhandle teams that are that are left, and it's kind of like, well, who's gonna who's gonna bunk up with those boys? Pretty much. I mean, you've got River Road, you've got Bushland, and you've got Dalhart. And then it's like, mm-hmm. who joins them? Do Does the UIL send the Lubbock schools north, which makes the most sense geographically, but then it creates problems in the Lubbock area because now you short 
you short the Lubbock district a little bit? Or does the UIL take Iowa Park and Vernon uh, north on 287 <laughs> up, up into the panhandle? So I'm kind of looking looking there. Uh, I'm looking at Brock. I think it's a possibility Brock gets sent west. We could see Brock and Jim Ned in the same district this year. This month. Wow. It's not that far out of the realm of possibility considering where Brock is located in you know far west Parker County. I mean, they're almost basically in the big country um, as it is. And then when you look at, you know, Franklin and Lorena, the two 3A division, the Franklin, the Division II state champions, and Lorena, the Division I state champions, I think there's a very good chance they're in the same district this coming realignment, which will be a lot of fun. Well, and speaking of which, that kind of leads us to 3A Division II. Franklin moving up is a um, – it only exacerbates an already existing problem in this part of the – in this part, like this genre or rather this class of the state because – they're just like they're they're if you take a look at where the teams in three division two are located it's a lot of it's panhandle it's west texas kind of evenly spread good amount of D, kind of those northern uh texo between nor uh dfw and and texoma that kind of you know the gunners of the world the bells is etc then you kind of go east and there's plenty of teams out there in east texas and then there's you know down south no problem plenty of teams down there even down uh, getting down towards uh, the Rio Grande Valley uh, some teams that, that you can keep an eye no big deal there but there's one hole in the resume like one hole in the state and it's right in the middle of the state and especially with Franklin leaving like I feel like that problem's only getting worse yeah there's just not there, you look you take basically you take between Waco and Austin and then kind of over to college station area, there's just not a lot of schools in this classification. Yeah. So, you know, schools like Clifton, Florence, Lexington, and Rogers are in a little bit of a, of a, of a predicament as far as work, who gets sent with them in realignment because the UIL doesn't want to do a four-team district. You know, I could see Buffalo. Last time Buffalo was sent south with those schools, and Buffalo is probably the closest one. And if there's a candidate to go south, it's probably – um, again, probably a school like Buffalo that would get sent down that way. There's just not a lot of schools there, so it's, it's, you're almost guaranteed to see a five-team district um, there in Central Texas because of the, the lack of schools in that classification. Man, and and uh, you know, five. Just for those who don't know, five-team districts at this small classification are, are pretty rare. Like they, you know, they they just don't usually happen all that much. Um, okay, two uh, A Division One. It's it's probably all eyes on Region Four, right? And and especially like what is going to be that cutoff between District Twelve and District Thirteen? Um, and you know, Mason's such a weird situation that they are kind of put in South Texas, even though they're in the Concho Valley. Um, and this is Concho Valley Hill Country, you know, however you want to call it, kind of that weird in between place. Um, and so, correct me if I'm wrong. You tweeted about this. You think there's a chance that Mason could leave, and you also think there's a chance that Marlin could join? Yeah, I think there's a very good chance, looking at the map and where, where the schools are located, that Mason gets sent north into a district with you know the, the Goldthwaites, the Colemans, the Ciscos of the world, San Saba. You know, Mason is, Mason's not that far from San Saba, and San Saba's in region, you know, in there with Cisco and Coleman. So I, I could totally see Mason getting thrown north because there's not a lot of schools from around Region Mason. Four to Region One, basically. Yeah, <laughs> quite possible. And uh, I think Marlin, who's tradition, you know, those Waco schools are always kind of on that swing where they can go to Region Two or Region Four. And I think Marlin could end up on on that side of, of the Region Four swing, which you know, you you throw a Marlin team that that brings back the house from last year that was a semifinalist into a region with Shiner or Furio. I think you're going to have a lot of fun. And I, I think there, there's a 
very good possibility that happens. Uh, and finally, you also have, you also have a, a, a you know you know team like you know a new UIL school like Cedar Hill Trinity, who has had a lot of success in the private school ranks. They, they they're now a charter school. They could you know be a, a real kind of under the radar power to keep an eye on as well. And in the DFW Metroplex, which is where there's not a ton of teams in this kind of that part of the world um, in two A Division one, um, and finally two A Division two, and. It, it, it's easy to when realignment comes out it's easy to focus on like the big schools the, the the schools that win state championships the schools that are contenders and i understand the uh the the idea to that those are brand names 2a division 2 is actually a place where you can just pay attention to brand names one of them not going to be there stratford moving up mm-hmm. the other one is uh mart who first of all we didn't even talk about their coaching situation uh kevin, Ho- Ke- kevin hoffman pulled the old randy allen of yep. <laughs> tiring and then uh he, he, when, he, when he was doing his interview and he was talking about oh i'm gonna go to the field house and bug these coaches and it's the same thing like, like what are you doing just keep coaching yeah and that's i guess that's uh, what he decided to do uh but mart like the entire shape of 2a division two is going to look at is going to be determined I, I hate to put it all on this but it's like are they in district eight or are they in district nine like those are that's really like the biggest question in 2a division two right Again, you know, Mart located in the Waco area. If you're if you're a powerhouse school in the Waco area, you are a, a swing school. We talked about China Spring and La Vega and four A Division One. You know, talked about Marlin and two A Division One, Mart and two A Division Two. They could go the realign the entire shape of the classification is determined by wh- which district Mart gets placed in because that really impacts your semifinal matchup. Now, Falls City got over the hump this year and beat Mart, but you know, if you're if you're picking, you'd rather have Mart on the other side of the bracket as you. You don't want to deal with them until the absolute. You, you absolutely have to. It is uh, fun times. We get the whole data dump next uh, next Thursday. We'll have a live show from Birdville. Uh, Step, you'll be joining us on the phone to give us your your breakdown of, of things that are going on. We're gonna have coaches. We're gonna be pulling them aside, talk about their uh, their fate. Uh, we will have uh, wall-to-wall coverage of realignment, and that will also be the next time we do Tep and Step. Yeah, we'll uh, do a realignment recap episode, and then we'll probably uh, – I think after that we'll start getting ready for the magazine. We'll, we'll probably won't come back until oh spring break time probably. Probably. That sounds about right. So, uh, yeah, the, there you go. There's uh, we, uh, We're excited about it. It's actually a fun, uh, fun time of year here because uh, uh, a big data dump, and we just get to sift through it uh, in real time, and we're excited to do it. So uh, – there you go. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for being a Dave Campbell's Texas Football Insider, spending a little bit of your day with us. Step, thanks for your courage. Feel better, buddy. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week on Tepin' Step.